This is the Return to Order Moment with Edwin Benson. Bringing you insights, analysis, and information for a culture in crisis. The United Nations. The left's tool to stamp out Christianity. Today, the Return to Order Moment looks critically at the United Nations, the focus of the modern globalist movement. The United Nations was established on October 24, 1945. It was based on the fallacy that human beings could create peace without the intervention of God. It was based upon the work of a predecessor, the League of Nations, the brainchild of Woodrow Wilson, first proposed in 1917. First, we will look at the motivations behind the founding of the League of Nations and contrast it with another event of 1917, the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima. This essay is titled, Woodrow Wilson or the Virgin Mary? Who was right about peace? Arrogant men throughout history have claimed that they can establish peace on earth. Modern examples abound. The United Nations Charter talks of faith, but not of God. At their quote-unquote summit meetings, world leaders constantly talk about peace, yet it evades them. All too often, lofty aspirations vanish as the words are forgotten. On November 11, 1918, an armistice ended World War I. Since it came so quickly after Our Lady's appearances at Fatima, it is fitting to compare two sets of predictions made about peace in that year. The year 1917 was disastrous. World War I raged through Europe carrying the twin horrors of trenches on land and submarines roaming the oceans. Millions of young men suffered through wretched lives and sudden deaths. In its third year, the war expanded as the United States decided to enter the conflagration. War-related unrest in Russia would cause two political upheavals that ultimately brought Lenin and his communists to power. Some leaders were searching for an end to the bloodshed. Pope Benedict XV offered to mediate a peace agreement, but only Emperor, now blessed, Karl I of Austria-Hungary was ready to take the Holy Father's offer. German Chancellor Beitmann Holweg negotiated with Russia's quote-unquote provisional government, but it got nowhere. At this time, two dramatically different world figures appeared. Each made predictions about the future of the world. The first one believed that men, guided by reason, progress, and good intentions, could chart a course toward peace. The other, possessed of supernatural knowledge and status, saw the folly of human means and warned the world of greater disasters to come. Woodrow Wilson was entering his second term as President of the United States. A man of massive arrogance, he had total faith in his own wisdom and the quote-unquote enlightened ideas behind it. He had plans for a new world order that would reflect the modern outlook. He had eked out a slim majority in the election of 1916 under the slogan, He Kept Us Out of War. The first three months of 1917 were showing him that this was a promise he could not keep. The turn of events on the front line would facilitate American entry into the fray. 
German generals planned a spring offensive, hoping to end a two-year stalemate. Part of that plan was expanding submarine warfare. Every ship traveling between the United States and Great Britain carried ammunition and supplies to Germany's enemies. American guns, grain, and all manner of other products flowed to the Allies. Meanwhile, Germany grew ever nearer to bankruptcy and starvation. Purely military considerations would have Germany use their submarines, the best in the world, to sink these ships. They sank those flying the British flag. But not those carrying U.S. colors. Germany did not want to provoke the U.S. into the war. That spring of 1917, Germany's leaders were reconsidering. One supreme military effort they thought might win the war. After all, the U.S. military was tiny. Americans had always resisted the notion of large standing armies as a threat to democracy and a waste of money. The Germans reasoned that it would take at least six months for the U.S. to recruit, train, and send an army to Europe. If Germany could win the war during those six months, it would all be over before the Americans got there. Therefore, they decided to sink American ships. This compromised President Wilson's position. Since the war began, he had urged neutrality in quote. Fact as well as in name. Unquote. The most popular song in America was "I didn't raise my boy to be a soldier." Now the Germans were rapidly taking the decision out of Wilson's hands. Woodrow Wilson was not a man to give up on the dream of utopian, man-made peace easily. Upon entering the war, he addressed the U.S. Congress in a speech that contained the memorable phrase. The world must be made safe for democracy. To him, as well, another shorter phrase was attributed: "The war to end war." Of course, Germany did not win the war in 1917. The U.S. troops helped shift the balance in favor of the Allies. On November 11, 1918, the shooting stopped. President Wilson, promising a just peace for all time. Went to France to create the League of Nations. Little did he know that the end of this war, to end all wars, would prepare the ground for an even greater and more destructive series of wars. Twenty years later, Woodrow Wilson also did not know that another figure, infinitely more powerful than he, had spoken words that showed his man-made peace to be mere wishful thinking. The date was July thirteenth, nineteen seventeen. The place was Fatima, a village in Portugal. The messengers were three shepherd children. The august figure was Our Lady, the Blessed Virgin Mary, the Queen of Heaven. Our Lady had appeared to these children twice before on the thirteenth days of both May and June. Her July message was terrible. She showed the children all the horrors of hell. They saw the indescribable torture of the souls whose rejection of God had consigned them eternally to the fire. Quote, "You have seen hell," Our Lady explained, "where the souls of poor sinners go. In order to save them, God wants to establish devotion to My Immaculate Heart in the world." Unquote. 
She continued, quote, If they do what I tell you, many souls will be saved and there will be peace. The war will come to an end. But if they do not stop offending God, in the reign of Pius XI, a worse war will begin. To prevent it, I will come to ask the consecration of Russia to my Immaculate Heart and the communion of reparation on the first Saturdays. If my requests are fulfilled, Russia will convert and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, promoting wars and persecutions of the church. The good will be martyred, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, and many nations will be annihilated. Finally, my Immaculate Heart will triumph, unquote. Our Lady would appear to the children three more times, culminating in the miracle of the sun on October 13, 1917. Two visions of peace, one real and true, the other foolishly optimistic and human, were offered to the world in 1917. The world would follow Woodrow Wilson's dream, albeit in an adulterated form. His quote-unquote wisdom came to naught. His vision of a League of Nations would barely see the light of day. One result of his promised path to peace would end with Adolf Hitler and World War II. Additionally, the quote-unquote peacemakers of World War I made decisions that would help revive Islam, a problem that continues to this day. Our Lady's predictions proved to be by far the more accurate. Fatima scholar Luis Sergio Solomeo's book, Fatima, A Message More Urgent Than Ever, spells out the ways that Our Lady's message was proven by events. Here, a short synopsis will be given. Quote, the war will come to an end, unquote. World War I ended on November 11, 1918. The peace treaty was signed at Versailles on June 28, 1919. Quote, but if they do not stop offending God, in the reign of Pius XI, a worse war will begin, unquote. World War II began with the Japanese invasion of Manchuria on September 18th, 1931. Quote, if my requests are fulfilled, Russia will convert and there will be peace. If not, she will spread her errors throughout the world, promoting wars and persecutions of the church. Communists took over Russia on October 25, 1917. The errors of Russian communists continue to inspire Marxists all over the world. Quote, the good will be martyred, unquote. More Christians were martyred or killed in the 20th century than in all previous centuries, perhaps all previous centuries combined. Quote, the Holy Father will have much to suffer, unquote. The sufferings of the popes since 1917 have been legion. Quote, many nations will be annihilated, unquote. Looking at a map of the world in 1917 will reveal many nations that no longer exist. Additionally, the Soviet Union took over many nations that still existed formally, but actually were puppets of the Soviets. Faithful Catholics await the triumph of Our Lady's Immaculate Heart, placing their full trust in the promises of the Queen of Heaven.
However, the world honors Woodrow Wilson's vision and ignores Our Lady. His League of Nations eventually became the United Nations. It is not surprising that humanity never seems to learn. When quote-unquote wise men separate themselves from the source of all truth, they render themselves incapable of understanding it. The United Nations sees itself as the savior of the world, a delusion to which many of its member nations contribute. However, its limitations are those of men. They fall far short of God's all-present, all-knowing, and all-powerful nature, so their decisions often fail. Unfortunately, their failures do not prevent the UN from making ever more grandiose and godless plans. Edwin Benson examines one such impulse in his essay, Obsession for Contraception and Abortion at the United Nations Population Fund. The United Nations Population Fund is mounting a worldwide campaign to promote abortion and contraception, and they want you to pay for it. Their 2019 report asked for $264 billion. The United States pays 22% of the expenses of the United Nations. Combine those two numbers, and the U.S. share is a shade over $58 billion. That money ultimately comes from your federal taxes. The United Nations established the fund in 1969 as the United Nations Fund for Population Activities. Even though it adopted its current name in 1987, it still uses its previous acronym, UNFPA. A quick look at the UNFPA website quickly reveals the feminist orientation of the organization. The first line on the page is, quote, ensuring rights and choices for all, unquote. Lavishly illustrated, few men appear on its pages. After all, the feminist ideology denies any decision-making role to would-be fathers. To commemorate its 50th anniversary in 2019, UNFPA devoted part of its web activities to a page called Icons and Activists, 50 Years of People Making Change. The background is a picture of shouting women raising their fists in a revolutionary gesture. Scrolling down reveals the statement, quote, For 50 years, the world's icons and activists have made changes touching the lives of millions of women and girls. Today, people are more likely than ever to enjoy reproductive rights and choices. It is an extraordinary achievement, an inspiration to us all, unquote. Two of the icons are Margaret Sanger and Cecile Richards, the founder and the recent president, respectively, of abortion giant Planned Parenthood. Other familiar names include Melinda Gates, Bella Abzug, Gloria Steinem, Margaret Atwood, and Christiane Amanpour, all of them strongly pro-abortion. Much of the money that UNFPA requests would go toward ending, quote, the unmet need of family planning, unquote. According to the report, quote, there are 232 million women in developing countries who want to prevent their pregnancies but are not using modern contraceptives, unquote. That figure is not documented, and readers are apparently supposed to accept it blindly. As expected, the report contains no language that refers to any moral dimensions regarding human reproduction. 
the do-your-own-thing mentality that prevailed at the time of UNFPA's founding in 1969 still prevails. The report does claim, quote-unquote, substantial progress in the use of, quote-unquote, modern methods. Quote, the number of women using modern methods of contraception has almost doubled, from 470 million in 1990 to 840 million in 2018, unquote. UNFPA wants to extend contraception to all within 10 years at a cost of $12 per recipient, or a total cost of $68.5 billion. We are then glibly informed that, quote, net savings are likely to be realized. With reduced requirements for maternal health care and delivery, child health care, education, and other services, the savings will be many times larger than the expenditure on family planning, unquote. All of this analysis is economical, as if having a child is a purely monetary consideration. Left unsaid are the methods that it will use to convince women of their quote-unquote unmet need. Children are still a blessing in many parts of the developing world. UNFPA also has the laudable goal of ending quote-unquote preventable maternal deaths. Unfortunately, some paths to this goal have nothing to do with protecting their babies. Table 4 in the report lists 29 interventions that UNFPA says should be universally available. Many items refer to better prenatal medical and nutritional care. However, the second and third items are safe abortion services and post-abortion case management. Further down the list comes removal of the retained products of conception. This removal means making sure that all parts of the child are removed after the ghastly procedure of abortion. The UNFPA 2019 report dismisses any sense that the protection of life is a fundamental moral issue. Any Christian understanding of the sanctity of life has no friends at UNFPA's headquarters at 605 3rd Avenue in New York City or in the United Nations Glass Tower a few blocks away. The pursuit of a godless peace is futile and fruitless. Without God's help, the plight of humanity will only worsen. Utopian schemes, like that proposed by the UNFPA, are typical of those of bureaucrats who ignore the moral issues that could provide actual solutions. To say that the United Nations is in line with every facet of the modernist heresy is a gross understatement. In addition to embracing contraception and abortion, as seen in the last essay, they also promote the homosexual agenda. These proposals have a single goal, destroying the traditional family. John Horvat contemplates this situation in his essay, Will the UN Human Rights Office Blacklist LGBTQ Plus Hate Groups? Anyone who doubts the existence of an LGBTQ plus agenda need look no further than the United Nations Human Rights Office. Its plan is not hidden, but open. There is no cast of conspirators, as the characters involved state their objectives clearly and forcefully. The Human Rights Office goes beyond merely favoring the LGBTQ plus cause. 
Its officials radically oppose all those who uphold the traditional family and its religious underpinnings. It is now mobilizing sympathizers to gather information on the moral opposition. The conservative United Nations watchdog group CFAM reports that the Human Rights Office is calling for input mostly from LGBT groups and activists to report on politicians, religious leaders, and organizations that oppose their quote-unquote rights. CFAM fears that the names may well be put on a blacklist by the UN office and make them subject to sanctions and intimidation. What causes concern is the thorough nature of the January call to action. The appeal for information asks for a complete account of any resistance to the LGBTQ plus agenda. It requests detailed information on, quote, the main actors who argue that the defenders of human rights of LGBT individuals are furthering a so-called gender ideology, unquote. The document further asks for examples of, quote, public expressions or statements by political and or religious leaders, unquote, who challenge LGBT, quote, unquote, rights. The UN ideologues are also interested in the main arguments used against activists and their effectiveness. There is an appeal for details about the, quote, unquote, narratives that are, quote, used to fuel violence and discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity and their particular impact on sexual and reproductive rights, unquote. The United Nations Human Rights Office has no tolerance for the defenders of life and the traditional family. It disputes the notion of quote-unquote gender ideology as a mere conspiracy theory. There is no desire to quote-unquote dialogue with those who disagree with the LGBTQ plus agenda. The UN officials have subscribed so completely to the agenda that no opinions to the contrary are allowed. Moreover, they have extended the agenda to include procured abortion, immorality, and all other measures that oppose a Christian notion of the family. The aggressive campaign especially targets religion. It sees the protection of religious beliefs and consciences as mere subterfuges used by Christians to limit the sexual and reproductive quote-unquote rights of LGBTQ plus persons. Activists are asked to report on how these protections have been used against them. The gathered information will be part of a coming report about the protection against violence and discrimination based on sexual orientation and gender identity. It will be presented at the UN Human Rights Council in Geneva. The UN Human Rights Office and similar groups have a distorted view of those who shun immoral acts for violating God's law. Such faith-based and principled opposition is not personal and does not direct hatred toward any individual. Nevertheless, some organizations, like the Southern Poverty Law Center, have created lists of quote-unquote hate groups simply because these groups peacefully and legally oppose the LGBTQ plus agenda. However, Christian opposition to sodomy is based on a doctrinal position that holds that the natural moral law, valid for all peoples in all places and eras, must be upheld if society is to be good and prosper. Sodomy, 
procured abortion, and other intrinsically evil behavior are gravely sinful and harm society. However, Christian opposition to these sins is never violent or illegal. The left does not prove the violence of those who defend Christian morality. Instead, it gratuitously repeats its assertion that all resistance is violent. This UN call to action is proof that the left is radicalizing globally. It mirrors the efforts of leftist governments, organizations, and political parties around the world that have created a new class struggle between those who uphold Christian morality and those who want it destroyed. There is no need to look for anti-Christian conspiracies. An open agenda exists at the service of globalist ideologues that targets the Catholic faith and the remnants of Christian civilization. This concludes The United Nations, the left's tool to stamp out Christianity. Thank you so much for listening. Return to Order, of which this podcast is only a part, strives to be a source of light in a dark and disordered world. Your prayers are appreciated. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask you to subscribe and give us a five-star rating with the service through which you are listening to it. Increased subscriptions and high ratings means that more people will be directed to the return to order moment when searching for new podcasts. So by rating us, you can help return to order be more effective. In addition, subscribers gain access to all previous episodes of the return to order moment. We would also like to recommend the book which spells out the motivations behind our work. Mr. John Horvat's book, Return to Order, is available as a free download through our website, www.returntoorder.org, or in printed and recorded form through our bookstore. All rights are reserved. Copyright 2021 by the American Society for the Defense of Tradition, Family, and Property, TFP.